Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This week, we're sharing another episode from the Single Tracks podcast archives. We're going to be sharing a conversation we had with one of our friends, Chris Tavell, local bike shop owner, about the challenges of running a local bike shop. Hope you enjoy it. This episode of the Single Tracks podcast is brought to you by Outer Bike. Are you searching for your next mountain bike or just looking for an excuse to visit a premier bike destination during prime riding season? Then you should sign up for Outer Bike, taking place this summer, August 18th through the 20th at Mount Crested Butte, Colorado. Outer Bike is the best demo event in the universe, offering you the chance to ride the latest bikes from top manufacturers. And it's all taking place in Crested Butte, one of the top five mountain bike destinations in the world, according to readers of Single Tracks. Outer Bike attendees will have lift access to the cross country and downhill trails at Evolution Bike Park, as well as some of the area's other classic single track. Admission includes lunch each day and beer at happy hour. Visit OuterBike.com for more details and to register for the Crested Butte event. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. Today we're going to be talking about local bike shops and some of the economics behind running your local shop. Today we have our friend Chris Devell here with us, and Chris runs a bike shop here in Atlanta called Loose Nuts Cycles, and you can find Loose Nuts on Instagram and the World Wide Web, Loose Nuts Cycles. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Absolutely. Thanks for having me in. So I want to start off talking to you a little bit about your shop and finding out what it is you do. Our shop is uh, located in Grant Park, which is a neighborhood right downtown in Atlanta. The shop's been around for about five and a half years now, but the name Loose Nuts has been around for, I think it's been about seven or eight years now. We started as a wheel building company in Athens, Georgia, where I was going to school and working at the time. And in 2010, I decided to come to Atlanta and actually turn the wheel building business into a full shop. Cool. So we hear a lot about the challenges that bike shops face. And a lot of times it's from consumers. I mean, we can all kind of tell that our bike shops, our local bike shops need our support. So could you talk about some of the challenges that you face as a bike shop owner? I suppose the biggest single challenge to it would just be that a lot of a lot of customers seem to not necessarily value the time or value the knowledge that the staff has. Everyone that works in my shop is a mechanic. Everyone that works in my shop is a salesperson. So it's a great way for you to have a conversation with someone that's that's not trying to sell you something for their paycheck. They're trying to sell you the best part for how you're describing what you're going to be doing on your bike. And so the biggest complaint, if, if I could lodge one, would be when you have someone that comes in and, you know, comes in multiple times, you spend hours with them determining what the best, let's just say, drivetrain is going to be for their intended purpose. And then they disappear for three weeks and then they come back in with a box of parts from Amazon <laughs> or eBay or, you know, something like that. I understand that everybody wants the best deal, but just remember that the the knowledge that you gained from the employee at the shop, you know, that's a skill. That's something that they have learned. That's something that they're using to make their living. So just, you know, keep that in mind when you go in and ask for all these tuning advices and then disappear. Right. Yeah. It's kind of, 
I always think of going to a car mechanic or something like that. Like, you know, you don't roll up when you have a flat tire on your car and expect, you know, expect the guy at the auto shop to fix it for free or to tell you what parts you need for your car and then you go home and get them online. So I don't know, it is an interesting thing where, like you said, maybe people don't value that expertise and knowledge that bike shop employees have learned over the years of working in a shop. Absolutely. And I think it's especially relevant now with with how quickly you're seeing turnover in technology. It's extremely important for every mechanic and every salesperson even to be up to date and current with what works and what doesn't work and what can you sort of hybridize to completely fit what you're going to be doing with it. I mean, those are things that we try out in the shop as soon as those uh, parts come out so that we'll know, is this going to work this way? Okay, it does in this case, it doesn't in that case. Yeah, I kind of wanted to ask something along those lines with all the, you know, rapid change we're seeing in cycling and especially in particular in mountain biking. What kind of challenges do you face in terms of stocking all the different standards? For the most part, stocking all of the new standards is just a sheer impossibility, I would say, for almost all shops. As much as I would love to be able to do that, there's just our shop is 900 square feet. We don't have a back of house. We don't have extra storage. So there's a, there's a finite amount of space that I can have for all of those spare parts. Now, I definitely try and have all of the current stuff. I mean, we're going to have 11-speed XT chains. We're going to have 11-speed Durace chains. You know, the sort of standards are absolutely going to be there. But when it comes down to, like, you want a 33-and-a-half tooth narrow-wide direct mount for your carbon <laughs> SRAM crank set, probably not going to have that in stock. But we can get it to you. We can get it to you without shipping costs. All of those things are there. We're, we're, we're trying. Everybody's trying. But it's almost impossible at this point. Well, with those challenges in mind, what are some things that mountain bikers as consumers can do to sort of support their local bike shop? I think it's something as simple as coming in and, you know, if you need some extra stands, you know, buy something small. If you have some questions or you need something set up, just come in. I mean, you'd be surprised. We have a lot of really, really pretty great home mechanics in the neighborhood and they dial their bikes in and then they bring them into us and then they're constantly surprised at how much better it could be. So you are probably doing an excellent job tuning your derailleur, but it's amazing how finicky a lot of the new 11 speed stuff is it's it can be better i can almost assure you that it could be better than you've got right now so like swing by you know that's that's something tuning a, a drivetrain is, is an inexpensive thing it helps the shop out you end up with a better ride that's an absolute no-brainer things like coming to your shop and having them rebuild your fork i guarantee you you haven't rebuilt your fork in the last 100 hours you're supposed to do it it's a simple thing it's going to increase the life of your fork it's going to make it feel better a lot of the service stuff. I mean, that's that's huge, you know. Yeah, I, I can definitely vouch for that. You know, I, uh, I I like to do a lot of the stuff at home. I mean, not just from a cost you know, aspect, but I I enjoy working on my bikes. But I will say the stuff that either I don't have the tools for at home or the stuff that I don't particularly want to do, like bleeding brakes. You know, I definitely <laughs> I'll definitely bring that into your shop because uh, you know even when I was living all the way across town, I would drive the half an hour to the shop just because you know you guys do a really good job there and well i'd like to jump in and say that i I definitely encourage everybody to do work on their own bike i mean i think that it's not some dichotomy between you have to bring it in for us to work on or 
please don't ever come in the shop. I mean, we teach people how to do stuff all the time. I mean, the way that our shop is set up is there's a bar where you can watch us work. I mean, we've only got two stands, but some, there's always a bike in a stand, and there's almost always sitting someone sitting on the other side of the bar, either having us explain while we're doing the work or asking us different questions while we're working. I mean, I think that that is important, and I absolutely encourage everybody to work on their own stuff. But, you know, when it does come to things like breaks, Aaron, like you were talking about, I mean, that's something that if you don't know what you're doing, you're either going to spend a lot of money with new pads and rotors because you're going to have <laughs> dot fluid everywhere, or yes. you're going to think you did a great job and you're going to hit the trail and realize, oh, I don't have a front brake now. Sweet. This is great. <laughs> I'm so glad I just drove to Alabama to ride my mountain bike. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you make a really good case. And a lot of mountain bikers, they seem to feel like supporting their local bike shop is like some kind of obligation or whatever. But like Aaron said, he drove 30 minutes just to go to this particular shop. So I think for a lot of people, the point is if your local bike shop is doing a good job, you're going to want to support them. And I think the services that are offered, that's really cool that, you know, at Chris's shop in particular, you can sit there and watch and learn and use the local bike shop as a resource. Well, and I think it's important to keep in mind too, that in Atlanta, there's something like 60 bike shops or something. Um, It's it's an insane number, and there's absolutely no guarantee that the first five that you walk into are going to be the right shop for you. I think that it's going to be going and finding some mechanics that you feel feel comfortable with the work that they're doing. If you like the environment of the shop, I mean, you know, it might not be my shop, and I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, I mean, maybe part of the challenge is people, like you said, haven't gone to the right shop yet, and they maybe have a bad taste in their mouth from going somewhere where the people made them feel dumb, or you know, they just felt like they weren't getting a lot out of it yeah on on that subject i think a lot of shops do get the rap of the typical douchey shop employee you know the people that will make the the beginner feel stupid when they come in there you know they're asking questions about you know like oh what's this for and it's like oh you don't know what that's for you idiot and they just they don't treat them very well you've had some employees that have worked for you for a long time but you know you've, you've had a few different mechanics in there over the years and they've all been in my experience with them they've all been genuinely friendly helpful people so how do you find those people when you're looking to hire someone new i'm extremely lucky um uh no i mean that's that's just absolutely at the forefront of what i look for when i'm hiring someone i mean i would rather have a mechanic that needs to learn some things but i can see the potential for them to do that and have a really great attitude, way more than a mechanic that, you know, just came off the Pro Tour or something that is technically 100% but but can't talk to people. Half of doing the fastest fix is listening and diagnosing the problem by talking to the customer. I mean, there's so many things that, that can squeak and rattle and move around. Why not have that conversation with the customer? Don't treat them like an idiot. I mean, there's nothing worse than walking into any place, bike shop, fill in the blank, whatever store and being treated like an idiot. I mean, that's, that's something that I don't enjoy. So I want to make sure that whenever somebody walks into the shop, they definitely don't feel like that. Yeah. Well, so these days I'm sure people, a lot of people are using the internet. They're reading articles and getting recommendations from things that they read online. And also, you know, they can watch a YouTube video and convince themselves that they know what they're doing on a repair. So how have you guys adapted to sort of the rise of the internet and mobile phones and online shopping and all that sort of stuff. I'll, I'll tackle this in two stages. In terms of using the internet, I think that it's the one of the greatest resources that we've got for fixing stuff. I mean, 
I would be completely lying to you if, if I said that I knew every solution to every problem that ever walked into the shop. I mean, I would say there's not a day that goes by where either Tyler or Kenzer or myself or M uses YouTube to figure out what is going on. There's no reason to spend two hours just trying to figure it out yourself. I mean, I'm a firm believer that there's almost no problem that's going to walk into our doors that hasn't been experienced somewhere else. So if we can figure out the best and proper way to do it in 25 minutes by using YouTube versus spending a full day, I'm all for it. Well, isn't that what doctors do too? You know, you go in to see them and they, they oh, leave oh no, the room oh no, for a oh second no. and no, they not at look all. it they, up in a book. They, they know everything. <laughs> we have we have doctors as great customers. They know everything. So no, no. Um, but no, and you know, I, I think that as a as a customer or a consumer using uh, websites like Park Tool, they've got an extremely comprehensive fix it guide. I think Pink Bike for a while was doing. I guess I shouldn't talk about Pink Bike. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't. Actually, it's Whatever terrible. It was, Every, yeah, it was everything bad. on that site garbage, um, <laughs> except the flat bill hats. Those are perfect. <laughs> no, I think that uh, for for customers that are going to use the internet to fix their own stuff, it's great. Uh, when it comes down to purchasing parts on the internet, this is where we see a lot of problems. I wouldn't even necessarily say that it bothers me too much as a shop owner when someone brings in a part that's bought online. But if you've bought a part online and you bring it in and we tell you that it's not going to work, it's not because you bought it online. It's because you bought the wrong part. Um, you know, you, you've got the wrong bottom bracket and there's only about 170 million different standards <laughs> right now. It's, it's, a, it's a common thing, but like, that's the kind of stuff where come in and have the conversation with us you know, if we don't have it or you need it tomorrow for your race, which happens all the time, you know, if you got to buy it online, that's fine. But don't be sad if you bring in this sweet new XTR group that you just got that's not going to fit your bike at all because you bought every wrong standard. I mean, that's just, that's the expertise that we're required to have. You're not required to have that. That's why we do this for a living. That's why you do it for fun. I mean, it's, it's part of the dynamic. Cool. So with stuff changing as fast as it is, what is the bike shop of the future going to look like? You know, in 10 years, are we going to have as many bike shops as we do now? And if we do, you know, what are the ones that are left? What are they going to look like? In, uh, in, in Bicycle Retailer Magazine, which I'm not a subscriber to, um, there, I, I think the numbers were something like we're, we're losing a good number of small shops and the number of your big sort of concept store, concept shop style establishments are getting, you know, those are growing or just not declining, but you're getting less and less sort of small shops similar to mine. I think that's a, I think it's a terrible thing. And, and the reason for that is not because it's how I make a living. It's that you need to have the options as a customer to go into a shop that you're going to feel good in. I also think that you're going to see potentially less diversity in the bikes that are actually available for a customer to touch and to test ride and to check out if the small shops continue to disappear. Because, I mean, it's easy to find a shop that sells Giant Trek, Specialized Cannondale, fill in the blank, and those are generally great bikes. But that doesn't mean that's the right bike for you. In terms of what I think shops are going to look like in 10 years, I think that in the future, there's probably going to be sort of two directions that, that shops go. I think it's either going to go in the direction of the big superstore, where you've got a little bit of everything that's going to satisfy a majority of people out there, or you're going to go the realm of a small boutique shop that's going to do one or two things extremely well, and you're going to be able to go in there, and you're going to have a punch list. I need this, 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 this for this trip, and you're going to be like, check, 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 you know? Um, but, I mean, it's definitely going to be harder and harder to do because margins for us are going down, and what that means for you as a customer is that 
the prices on that, that XTR part might be going up, but the cost that the shop's paying to get that XTR part in is also going up. Like, we're not gouging you. You know, there are established MSRPs, and for the most part, shops are going to have their stuff marked at that because that's what it takes for us to keep the lights on. That's what it takes for me to pay my employees. It's what it takes for us to buy the next part that you're going to want to see. You know, you don't go to the grocery store and complain about the price of that loaf of bread being too high. I mean, (laughs) it's what it costs. Believe me, we're not trying to, like, screw you over at all. Well, I mean, what some people have suggested, and these are not expert people at all, but they've suggested that bike shops should just focus on service and let people buy stuff online. I mean, do the economics work for that? Could you run a shop that's basically just a repair shop? I'm sure that you could, and I'm sure that there are some examples out there. Our shop would disappear, to be totally honest with you. I mean, bike sales are a big part of what we do, and accessory sales are a big part of what we do. Also, going back to my point about people buying the wrong part, you know, whether it be inadvertently or because it was the best price, I think that you're still going to have the issue of needing to talk to the person that knows what's going to work in your particular instance and then making sure that that part actually exists. So, yeah, I mean, we could, there could be a, a bigger shift towards service, but I mean, every service industry or every sort of service related repair almost always has some new part that that is getting used or done and a lot of that stuff is not exciting you know it's cables it's housing it's like a quick link you know a spoke i mean you know those are those are all things that sure you could buy all that stuff online but why would you like you don't do you want for us to have your bike in the shop we noticed something that we didn't catch when it first came in call you up hey you're gonna need to go on amazon and get a 4,000 millimeter super slick campy cable for your <laughs> tandem road bike. Like, you know, no, that, that, that should be stuff that the shop has so that you don't have to deal with it. So yeah, Chris, you mentioned that you started out with a wheel building business and then eventually opened a, a full bike shop. So I'm curious about how you did that and sort of where you got the capital to get started. Um, it took surprisingly less money than you would think. It also took being, I guess I was 22 no, 23 when I started the shop. Oh, wow. So it's a whole lot easier to do something really stupid <laughs> when you have no, no experience of how terrible things could get. Um, no, I was super fortunate. Um, the, the shop was started with $20,000 cash. We've never had oh, any wow. debt. We've never had to take out loans. And that, uh, half of that came from me and half of that came from a former business partner. But yeah, I mean, it started small. Like I I look back at pictures of when the shop opened and I'm not sure that I would have taken my bike in there to get fixed. (laughs) I mean, Aaron probably remembers some of those early days and it's a very different shop. But I think by starting it so small, it's allowed for the shop to really change dramatically over the years to really focus in on what people want, what the neighborhood wants, and also stay small enough to be nimble and, and do huge shifts as the industry shifts. I mean, we do a ton of bikepacking stuff, which I'm sure is hilarious to most of y'all because we're in the <laughs> middle of Atlanta. But, you know, there, there are things that like, you can ride from the shop and, and get out in the woods relatively quickly. And so being small has allowed us to kind of stay on top of what's hot and actually what we enjoy doing and has allowed us to change as the market's changed. So your shop is kind of unique in that it's in sort of an urban part of Atlanta. What are some of the demographics and things that you're seeing at your shop? The demographics of the shop are pretty interesting being located in the city. Um, One thing that's been super helpful from the very get-go has been the neighborhood in which we're located. From day one, I've wanted to make sure that 
the shop provided the things that the neighborhood needed. So that means we do lots of extremely exciting stroller tire repairs, <laughs> balance bike repairs. I've changed a, a woman's car tire one time, which is pretty exciting. Um, but, you know, making sure that the neighborhood is fully serviced is super important to me because they've been the basis of our business from day one. That said, when we started, we were definitely more focused on purely urban riding, definitely doing a lot of the single speed stuff, fixed gear stuff. And the reason for that mostly was just it's what was extremely popular and it wasn't being served in the Atlanta area. And as the shop has aged, the, the demographics have changed, but I think a lot of that has been reflected in the bikes that we are carrying and the level and sort of types of services that we're providing. I got real into learning how to like rebuild forks and rebuild shocks and rebuild just sort of overhaul suspension stuff. So that brought in a lot of different customers that weren't necessarily neighborhood based, but have since become regulars. So being in the city, I feel like is extremely beneficial for a bike shop, albeit more difficult to hit more trails. But it, it just allows you a broader range and a broader reach of customer without them having to necessarily drive for, you know, 45 minutes to get their flat fixed. Right, right. So being in town, you know, I'm always surprised to see a lot of the brands that you carry in the shop. So what are some of the mountain bike brands and products that you're stocking right now? The two major brands that we carry are uh, Surly Bikes and Salsa Cycles. With Salsa, we do a lot of their sort of city and bike packing lines. Last year, we went very heavy with their full suspension stuff. And while all of our friends and regulars are on those, it didn't necessarily work so well for our location. We're still going to have some of those bikes going forward, uh, those models going forward from Salsa, but we're definitely focusing more on their touring and adventure line for this year. When it comes to Surly, most of those that we have are going to be their cross checks, their stragglers. So those are all sort of commuter based, you know, not, not racing, not single track oriented bikes. So, you know, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of your customers are repeat customers. They seem to be customers for life. And as the shop has grown, you know, they've grown with you and they're getting, they're getting different bikes, you know, as you start carrying different things, like you said, the the adventure side of things is growing for you very well. And a lot of the, the salsa bikes that you carry are kind of in that vein. So I know you guys do a lot of really unique, interesting custom builds for people. So, you know, do you have any, like any current builds that you're working on that are really cool or maybe like kind of some of your favorite bikes that you've, uh, you've built for people in the past? Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, going back to, you know, having customers be long-term customers. I think one of the coolest examples of that that I've got is there's a pair of twin brothers that have been customers of the shop for about four and a half years now. And they both came in. They had crappy old, you know, 70s or 80s steel road bikes. They wanted them to be fixed gears. We did that. Then they bought a sweet fixed gear frame set. So it was an actual track bike. And then they bought cross bikes, and now they're both getting mountain bikes. Uh, so, like, it's, it's really cool to be able to offer sort of all of the sort of steps or really just bikes that you could want as you start growing into, you know, a multifaceted cyclist. As for some custom bikes, yeah, we, I feel really fortunate that we're able to deal with a lot of really fun bikes. Some that stand out in my head, um, there was uh, the Kurt Inglis or Retrotech NABS bike for 2015 we built up. That's a regular customer of ours, Chris Jarrett. He's a great guy. Uh, that was super fun. Nice swoopy frame, roll off rear like rear hub that was cool um and then actually one of the coolest bikes that's probably ever 
left the shop. It hasn't quite left yet. We're waiting on a couple of small parts. Uh, it's, um, it's a Moonman Cycles. If you haven't heard of them, you should check them out. It's a really cool small company out of Colorado. They only do titanium. Everything's super bendy and swoopy. It's a lot of fun. That's going to be a belt drive roll-off. It, it looks like a big kid's BMX bike. Like I, I dare you to go look at it and not grin. It's, <laughs> it's pretty rad. Um, we've also done a lot of really cool road bike builds. Um, we've done a couple of road bikes that have used like the Campagnolo's 80th anniversary Grupo, which is really fun because the two customers that we've done that for are riding the shit out of them. So it's always fun to build these really sweet bikes and see them locked up places and see them out on group rides and see them with dented rims because they're using it. I mean, that's, that's way more exciting than building something that's going to go on a mantle. Well, great. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for joining us. I definitely learned a lot. Well, thanks much for having me in. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that your local shop is not trying to screw you. I could promise you that. <laughs> and, and, and if you feel like they are, I mean, either have that discussion if they're open to it or find another shop. You know, I mean, that's, that's the beauty. Most places have at least two shops. It's weird how that seems to work. So if you don't like one, check out the other one. There's got to be one that's going to work for you. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Chris. Chris's shop, again, is Loose Nuts Cycles in Atlanta, Georgia. You can find them on Instagram and the World Wide Web. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Peace.